Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What is the point of being a Christian? Why go through the work of getting ready for church each Sunday and also on Wednesdays for Lent? Read Bible stories to our children, take time for daily prayer, trust in a God that we cannot see face to face, and give him some of our hard-earned income and our stretched-out-so-thin time. Many have asked these types of questions, and without searching for a legitimate answer, they then walk away from the Christian faith. Many many figure that it simply is not worth all this trouble. And many figure that they can be a Christian without church attendance or without those sacrifices of time and offerings and even without prayer. An important aspect of teaching the Christian faith along with the importance of remaining a Christian is to describe what life would be like should there be no sin in this world. It's good for us to remember the ideal, what Adam and Eve had at creation. It is good for us to see what God had originally created and that which he desires for us to eventually have. When we see that kind of world which God originally created, we will, know, we will long for that blessed, sin-free life. And we will cling to Christ so that we may obtain that glorious life to come at the resurrection. A sin-free world. The life as Adam and Eve once had in the garden. We will want to be Christian, no matter how difficult it may seem to be in this fallen world. When God created all things in just six days by speaking, creating out of nothing by his very voice, he saw his creation. He looked upon it and he saw that it was good. The only missing part from his creation at first was Adam was alone, and so he created a helpmeet for him, Eve for Adam. He taught them then to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. Nothing was missing from God's perfectly created world. It was a comfortable place, a place without sin. Work was the delight of man. Raising children would have involved no pain, and there would have been no need for hospitals or clinics or nursing homes because nobody got sick, nobody would get injured, nobody would grow feeble and weak with age, no one would grow old and die because there was no sin and no, therefore no wages of death or no wages of sin being death because at creation it was all good. 
But then Satan found a captive audience with Eve. He begins by questioning God. Did God really say, is it true that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see, despite God's word, something is missing from your life, the devil reasoned with her. God is withholding something from you. You don't have perfection. You don't have the glorious life now. There's something else that you don't know about. Adam, standing by, gets lured in. Failing at his patriarchal responsibility to protect his family, he let his wife remain in Satan's crosshairs. And Satan tempts her even further, saying, you won't die if you eat of this tree for in fact God knows that you will be like God himself you will now know something that you don't know you will know good and evil due to Satan's subtleness Eve didn't realize that she was placing herself as a judge over God and over the very word of God she began to trust in her own God-created senses over God himself. And now here through Eve, God's creation suddenly figured that it could know more and judge better than God the creator. Eve saw that the fruit looked just fine. It was pleasing to her eyes. It looked like food that it looked like fruit that was good for food and so she ate of it. And she gave some to her husband who was standing right there, and he ate, and their eyes were now opened. Satan promised that they would be like God. Now they're further away from God than they ever had been. They now saw their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid themselves from God because they now knew that they had lost that image and likeness of God, how quickly they had fallen from grace. From this narrative, we learn that Satan is a liar who dresses up his lies to seem plausible and tries to make us feel that we can be God's counselor, that we can judge God. But Jesus said of the devil in John 8, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we sang a mighty fortress, we sang one little word can fell him, the devil. One little word can fell the devil. Many have speculated what that word might be. There's one reference in Luther's various works in which he says, that word is liar. Call the devil who he is. Identify him for his lies. But today many are hoodwinked by Satan's sweet-sounding lies. They buy into the notion that since the New Testament is nearly 2,000 years old and the Old Testament is even older than that, it must be out of date and unsuitable for those of us living in modern 21st century America. We are tempted to rewrite things to match our day instead of trying to match the sacred scriptures. We must, as God's sheep who listen to the voice of our good shepherd, reject these false 
teachings. We must cling to Scripture alone, for in the sacred Scriptures which reveal to us our Savior Jesus, we alone have the words of eternal life. Anything that contradicts the Bible is of a different spirit. It is a lie, no matter how sweet-sounding or plausible it may seem to be. It is of a different spirit and must be rejected. Satan lied when he said, you will be like God. Remember, Adam and Eve were already made in the image and likeness of God. They already were holy like God is holy. They could already see God as he is, and they could be in the very presence of the Almighty God and live. They couldn't have it any finer. But the devil made them think that they were lacking something, that God withheld something important from them. He told Eve about this concept known as evil. She didn't understand it because she had not experienced evil. And now she's desiring it so that she thinks that she could be like God. But God, of course, is not evil. Instead, by eating of the fruit and learning what evil is, she lost her image and likeness of God and she became like Satan. For she became evil. And she also, like Satan, rebelled against God. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they brought the world into sin. Everything now became corrupt, and with sin comes death. They saw their nakedness and tried to cover their reproductive organs. Even that was a futile attempt to be like God, to cover up the reality that they are a creation and that they cannot create alone. They cannot create out of nothing. No single person can author life alone. It takes two to create a family. And in addition, it requires the very blessing of God. Unlike God, we are not the source of our own being. For we are created in our mother's wombs. We have belly buttons to show that our existence comes from outside of us. Truly, God has granted to women the highest honor. Something more honorable and more important and more blessed than any work that a man can do. By giving her the ability to bear children. Yet children need their father and their mother who are joined in holy matrimony. By grace, we are blessed then to be received as God's own children. You see, it is, important, it is a privilege to be called children of God. Even though we have inherited the sin that Adam committed, even though we are born sinful, we are even conceived into sin, meaning we are sinful from the time of our own conception. But yet what does God do despite our sin that we've inherited by our actual sins, by our sins of omission, the things that we have failed to do? God, by his very grace, calls us to be his children. 
God even uses children as models for faith. In the New Testament, on a few different occasions, Jesus held up children as great examples of faith in, contrary, in contrast to adults. And when Jesus does so, this completely flies in the face of what the wisdom of our age considers to be truly significant. You see, people think they are significant based on what they have done with their lives. How educated they have become, how talented they are, perhaps how good they are at sports, how much money they have. In other words, they derive their significance from looking at their own self. But what that is, is it's inward gazing, if not narcissistic. But God teaches us that we are significant because of the way we came to be. That we are creations of God himself. And that God even created the whole universe for us so that we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We can even more so see our significance in that he sent his only begotten son to be a human being like us but without sin so that Jesus would redeem us through his son, through the shedding of his innocent blood. We can see the significance that God places upon us by sending his Holy Spirit to call us to faith through the Holy Gospel. And you know of your significance and the reality that God has adopted you into his family, that he calls you children of God by virtue of your baptism. In our day, we hear of news reports of men having children, or so they claim, or even women having children without any relationship with a man. But no man can have a child. If she does, it's because she's a woman who has rejected God's clear word, male and female, he has created them. Many think that it is bravery to go against the grain of history, the grain of historic thought, and especially the grain of God's own word in matters related to human sexuality. And so they think it is brave to abort what they figure are unwanted children. They think it is brave to engage in no-fault divorce without working out the relationship under the cross and in this fallen world. They think it is brave to reassign their God-given sex. But all of this in the end is futility and it is vanity because it is not that fruitfulness that God teaches. It is also futility and vanity to avoid our God-given vocations. As God instructed Adam to work even though it will cause him to sweat and the ground will produce thorns and thistles, and God instructed Eve to bear children even though her pain in childbearing is multiplied. What we do, though, is we seek to dull the pain, the pain that we experience as we serve God, as we serve our neighbor, as we are there for our family. We, we, we dull the pain often by avoiding the various vocations by which God has placed us into. We then distract ourselves. Some use drugs or alcohol. Others find their escape in video games. Many turn to pornography. 
as we seek to avoid pain, as we seek these distractions, as we seek to release ourselves from what we feel is the real world, we bring to ourselves greater destruction and we harm ourselves and those whom God has placed in our lives to serve. Repent. Despite falling so quickly from perfection, God promised Adam and Eve a savior. When God spoke to the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What this is, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is the first gospel. Adam and Eve heard this word of God, that God promised to send a child into this world who would defeat the devil. The child is her seed, meaning she is that he is born of the virgin. And this is the first time that God promised to send his son to save mankind from their sin. God fulfilled his promise. In the fullness of time, Jesus came into the world to redeem us from all sin. Jesus didn't do so by gold or silver, but he did so by way of the cross. He paid the impossible debt of our sin through the shedding of his innocent blood. We, through all of our attempts to do good things for God, cannot reconcile ourselves to God, but Jesus has done it for us when he fulfilled the law in our place and died on the cross as a sacrificial payment for our sin. Through this work of Christ, our Savior, the wrath of God is appeased. And so while Eve was lured to a tree by which Satan tempted her, Jesus carried a tree, a wooden cross, by which he then carried to Golgotha. Adam and Eve brought the world into sin by eating the forbidden fruit, which also brought death into the world. And Jesus then drank of the cup of God's wrath down to its very dregs to release us from that very bondage to sin. And just as they ate to bring sin into this world, now God invites us to eat and to drink the fruit of our Lord's sacrificial payment in Holy Communion, not for our death, but for our life, for our salvation. We eat Christ's body and drink his blood, not to incur guilt or suffer wrath, but to receive the forgiveness of sins and every blessing from God. As we gather as Christ's guests at his communion rail, to receive the body and blood of Christ, we receive a foretaste of the feast that is to come. Receiving the Lord's Supper is pure joy, and it is given to us by grace. It is a meal by which we are joined to Christ and to our brothers and sisters communing with us, and even we are joined with our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us in the faith and now rest from their labors in heaven. When Jesus comes again in glory on the last day, he will make all things new. His creation, 
which had been corrupted by sin, will be restored to perfection. We will dwell with him with resurrected and perfect bodies, bodies that God had intended for us, ones without the various pains of this fallen world. And there will be no temptation to sin. All will be good. Death will no longer be possible. Sin will be gone. And there will be no corruption and no decay. And this perfect creation will go to all eternity. We will never again try to take God's place or pretend to know something more than God, than God does. And we will dwell with our merciful Lord forever, and our joys will never end. So what is the point of being a Christian? Is it worth the sacrifice of some of our time and our possessions? Absolutely. For what God gives us through the sacrifice of his only begotten Son is far more than we can imagine. Truly, we lose nothing when we give back to God what he has first given to us, nor do we lose a thing when we spend our time in the house of God and when we spend our time in prayer with our families and when we spend our time with our noses in our Bibles reading the word of God. Instead, we are gaining everything. Adoption as sons of God, knowledge of Christ, and the forgiveness of all of our sin, so that we are declared acceptable before God in heaven, and so that we are declared innocent, justified, not guilty of all that we have done amiss. What blessings we have in Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. At this time, we will rise to sing hymn 422. This will be in place of created me during the season of Lent. So please rise. We turn to hymn 422 to sing on my heart and print thine image. <laughs> 